0: Let's go ahead and get into the Word of God. It seems like around here you people like to get serious and get with it quick. So we want to do that. If you will, turn into your Bibles with me. Now, I'm reading out of the King James Version Bible. And uh, turn with me to John, the second chapter. And we're going to begin reading verse number 1. And we're going to read down to verse number 12. And um, now... My reading ain't all that fantastic. Now, if I keep blowing that way, that might not be good. My reading ain't all that fantastic, but one of the things I always like to invite everybody to do is while I read, and this is something that I do on a normal basis, is don't just read the Bible. Read it and listen to the Bible. Amen? How many of y'all know that the Word will talk to you? Yeah, Jesus is the Word, so He talks, right? It talks, it communicates with you. So as I read it, you also read along and let it speak to you. All right, verse number 1 says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine... The mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? My hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he says unto you, do it. And there were uh, set there six water pots of stone after the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three fur skins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now and bear it unto the governor of the feast. And they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted what that uh, was made wine, And knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew. The governor of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth His glory, and His disciples believed on Him. After this, they, He uh, went down to Capernaum, He and His mother, His brethren, and His disciples. And they continued there not many days. May God add a rich blessing to the reading of His words, and may He prepare our hearts and our, our ears to hear and receive what He has for us today. Let's pray for a moment. Holy Father, we just humble ourselves before You this day, giving You thanks and praise for Your many blessings, God. Father God, we just ask You right now to move upon me and to move upon every person in this place and touch our ears, Lord. Touch our hearts, to hear and to receive what the Spirit of the Lord has to say to us today, that we can take this unique event in history that you did just for us disciples. That God, that we may gravitate to it, that we may apply it to our lives, and that its liveliness and its power may arise inside of us into such a way that it may explode out of our lives that this world around us may see Jesus in us and the power of this miracle flowing from us. God, we love you, we adore you, and we thank you for being such a wonderful Lord, giving your life for us, and also being present here with us today. Have your willing way. And take this vessel of clay and this feeble mouth and mind and body that I have and use it for your glory and the blessing of your people that hear this word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One of my favorite Gospels is the Gospel of John. Because whenever I got saved, I fell in love with Jesus. He absolutely rocked my world, turned it upside down, changed me tremendously. He took everything that was ugly out of my life and he replaced it with his life. And I found out that his life is absolutely awesome. His life is beautiful. His life is perfect. His life is splendid. And his life is the greatest life to live. I don't want to live Tim life no more. I want to live Jesus' life. Amen? Whenever that you get saved, whenever you give your heart to the Lord, the Bible says that there's an exchange that takes place. It says that I give my life, which is wretched, for his life. Now it doesn't mean that sometimes that because we're fleshy and because we are still carnal and we still live in a world of sin is that many times is that our body and our old life wants to creep back in like it has business to do that. Like it has more intelligence than the Jesus who lives inside of us. It's almost like two people's going on inside of you. So what happens is is that we have to learn to bring the old into submission to the new. We've got to bring the old man and that life into submission that it be hidden in the life of Jesus, that Jesus can live His life out of us. Amen? Now when we do that, there is some supernatural things that happen. First of all, you're a supernatural walking blessing and miracle yourself. You know that you become a new creature. Therefore, there is a miracle that's taken place the God's took something old and He's made something new out of it. And that is exactly what you see here in this text. You find that Jesus takes something that's old, which is natural, which is water, and He makes something new out of it. He makes something new out of it and the testimony that comes from what He made out of it is this is the best wine ever. You've saved the, last, the best for last. Everybody else puts the best up front so that they can be praised. Yeah, but Jesus, He saved the best for last. And the best is you in oneness with Him. That's the way God sees this thing. Now, what is the result of this is that Jesus came and He did this and He says in John later on around about the 10th chapter is that He come to give us life, but not just life in Him, but to give it to us in a more abundant way. So every born-again child of God should be experiencing an abundant life. But whenever that we really sit and we meditate and we think about what does this abundant life look like, so many times it's mingled way too much with the world's idea of an abundant life. And that deludes the power. That deludes the the truth and the purpose and plan and the beauty of God's creation of a new creature and life He's put in you. Because most of this world sees an abundant life as something that is filled with fame, fortune, and all of the he- wonderful health. In other words, it's a life without suffering at all. But Jesus sometimes needs us to have a bellyache. Because there's a lot of lost people who got a bellyache. And he needs them to see how the power of Jesus can take you through a bellyache and magnify his name in the process of it, and give him praise, and still love him, and still serve others. He needs that bellyache to be a witness and a testimony of his power, and the new life that is in you to them. Because he wants them just as much as he wants you. He loves them just as much as He loves you. There's not one human being on the face of this earth that Jesus did not die for. Sometimes we get... we uh, and Here's another thing, too. Let me just put it this way. Is that God showed me a few years ago, just because you've been preaching for a while, Tim, and just because that you've been been walking with me for for 30-some years now, doesn't give you seniority over nobody in His kingdom or in His family. Now see, that's the opposite of the world. An abundant life that Jesus gave us is a life to where that we're all equal. <laughs> now some of us might growl at that because we like to be above others. Now don't get me wrong, there's certain positions in the, in the ministry of God that allows them to have authority concerning ministry. But it doesn't mean that they're more important than you, or God loves them less or more than you. But with God, we're equal. No seniority, no favor there. Mm-mm. Wow. So the if you're listening today and you, you, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're thinking, well, everybody else is better than me. And maybe the church people are better than me. I knew that before I got saved, I thought that the church people and the Christians were better than me. Uh-huh. And I really didn't realize that they were better than me until I got saved. And then I realized, my goodness. They were sinners that needed a Savior just like me. (laughs) Amen. Well, God cares about you, and He cares about you tremendously. And in this text, we're going to try to unravel it. And the whole goal here is to stir you up to live the extraordinary life that God intended for you to live. But in order for you to live an extraordinary life that God intended for you to live, you've got to see it according to the way God sees it. There's a couple of steps that you need to get motivated into, and I think in this text it will help you to direct you to get into the right frame of mind so that you can experience a life that you never really considered. Even as children of God, we, we are not taught so much about how to experience an extraordinary life here on this earth. And anything that connects with Jesus becomes from ordinary to extraordinary in an instant. In an instant. The very moment that you and I give our life to Jesus and His life came into us, immediately you were stamped to be an ambassador. I don't know, I come from a I was raised up chasing squirrels rolling around in mud holes carrying frogs in my pocket and believe it or not I used to have this crazy thing about ants I would sit all day long and play with ants weird right far from extraordinary Just weird. But when God comes into your life, He changes things. And He has an expectation out of you and I to live an extraordinary life. Step number one toward an extraordinary life. You can't have an extraordinary life without Jesus involved. Look it with me here in verse number 2. It says, both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. Step number 1, you need to invite Jesus into every aspect of your life. You see, I found out as a pastor for many years is that a lot of God's children have invited Jesus into their life but, and, and, and at first they gave Him all of their life. But as I was saying earlier, little bit by little bit, the old person came coming in in other words, pride started coming back up and, and, and desires that were more for material things or more for, for a career or something more recognizable. other words, the fame, fortune kind of mentality came in. Or maybe it was just someone come in and you fell in love with them. That happens and then all of a sudden is that your love for Jesus began to get weaker instead of stronger. And they began to influence your life a little more. Whatever the reason, whatever the cause. Is that we find ourselves drifting and then the next thing you know is that the Holy Spirit convicts us and He brings us back into our senses and we say, okay God, you can have everything in my life except this relationship. I I want this person in my life but they don't want to get married. I want this person in my life, but they're not ready to give their life to you. I want this person in my life. I'm in love with them, but... But... Keeps coming up. So that but is a door that keeps Jesus from getting into that part of their life. And guess what happens in that life? It becomes rotten. It becomes the same thing that happens with all fleshly life. It becomes dead powerless and then the next thing you know is that what they're after is love the love dies happens so if you want Jesus and you want to experience an extraordinary life an extraordinary relationship then you got to let Jesus into that relationship 100% Same thing with finances. I have seen a lot of people that were faithful in church. Faithful in church for a lot of years. And we prayed together. We believed God together for a career. They go to college. They put their energy, their time, their money for this career. Finally... God hears our prayer and opens a door. They get the career they always wanted. It's blessed with finances. But then all of a sudden that job, that career becomes a little more demanding. The next thing you know the career starts telling you how to behave and how to treat people. How to talk. What to say, what not to say. I remember that the first break in our finances was when my wife became a nurse. Now this happened after we were saved because before before we got saved, we didn't know how to manage nothing. We didn't have, you know, we, (laughs) we, we, we was from the woods and we acted like it. We didn't understand nothing, but then when we got saved, God all of a sudden started directing our path and directing our life and putting things in our hearts, so we began to go for it. My wife she goes to school, she becomes a registered nurse. Been a blessing a financial peer in our marriage for years and years. Still is. But there's something that we began to see and recognize that was going to be challenging. Because all of a sudden is that there's policies Though you know the truth and though you know Jesus and though you know He's the Savior of the world and He's the only way to get to heaven, yet they want to tell you you can't tell a dying person or witness to them about Jesus. You have to call upon whoever they want to call upon to minister to them. Now that is a a policy that's a protective policy. I understand that as a business owner you got to have policies that protect you from lawsuits. Especially today, amen. So it's a necessary policy. But to whom shall you humble yourself, yield yourself to, and obey? Should if God who's speaking to your heart put in your heart to witness and give testimony to someone that may be on their deathbed or maybe sick, someone that needs comfort and peace from Jesus, would you withhold the witness you have? Would you withhold it? I have found so many times is that when we get into careers, we begin to allow those careers to box us in. And all of a sudden the policies of that that job or that company and that career begins to keep us away from inviting Jesus fully into that area of our life. And once you stop inviting Jesus into that area and you say, Jesus, hold on, hold on. You can have my relationship. You can have everything else. You can even have the money that I make from this. But I have to surrender or submit to this policy. Things get challenging, doesn't it? But what we look at is we look at the negative side of it and we look and we become frightful at what the world can do to us. We don't look at what Jesus can do in the midst of that. If we begin to take a look and say, okay, this is a serious situation, but God, I am allowing you to be Lord of this part of my life. You come in. If you want me to witness, if you want me to do something that goes against the policy of this company, then I'm going to trust you. I will do whatever you ask me to do, and I'll do it in love, and I'll do it in joy, and I'll do it believing in my heart that you're going to make a difference. If you do that, then you are going to experience an extraordinary move of God in your life. Now, how that event comes about may change. You might get fired. But if you get fired, honey, God's got a better job of and all of a sudden where you were struggling in the other wor- in the other workplace, now you're thriving in your new one because you trusted Jesus and you submitted to His will and His word and His work above anybody else's. That's extraordinary. Jesus then looks on you and He says, That's my child. She's extraordinary. She's living the dream. The dream He had... For you. See, God had a life for you. You don't know nothing about. Life for me, you didn't know nothing about. (laughs) Living the dream. The extraordinary life. It comes by inviting Jesus into every area of your life. The second thing. Now, oh yeah, let me add one more thing here. I don't want to leave this out because this is important too. Notice that you not only need to invite Jesus into every area of your life, but guess who comes along with Jesus to this marriage? His disciples. Now see right here is where I messed up. You see, <clears throat> kind of an awkward guy. I mean, you know, you've you, you got to be awkward and weird to play with, really love to play with ants when you're a kid. So I never was much about being around people whenever I was growing up. I was shy, awkward. I didn't say much, but boy, I watched a lot. And I listened a lot. But here's where the thing is that I struggled out as I began to move with God and live with God, and I found out that God wanted to broaden my life is that I was just fine staying in tune with Him, but I had trouble when it came to working with His disciples. But the disciples, your brothers and sisters around you, see, this is the importance of the church. You are a part of God's family. Jesus is Lord of our lives. But if you look to your left and you look to your right and you see the people around you and then you bump into someone way on the other side of the world and you find out they're a believer too, that's your brother and sister too. And you needed them to fellowship with you then because you might have been getting all into the flesh. You know how that is. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about getting out there doing a lot of bad stuff, but the Bible says when you sow to the flesh, you reap from what? You reap of the flesh. If you sow of the Spirit, you reap of the Spirit. So if I begin to entertain my flesh, guess what? My flesh gets stronger and it wants to continue to be entertained. But we just said earlier is that we have to bring that flesh, that old lifestyle into subjection and submission to the, to the life of Jesus. In order for Jesus' life to live out of us, it's got to live through us. So there has to be an alignment, the old with the new. So you need your disciples. You need Jesus' disciples to be present in your life. That's why you need to join a church. That's why you need to be a part of a local ministry. That's why you need to stay connected with your brothers and sisters. When you hear a brother or sister that's down, man, go and encourage them. When you find out that a brother and sister is celebrating something, go and celebrate with them. Let them know you're excited about their blessing. It's not the pastor's job to do that. It's all of our job to do that. There's not one person... And God's family, especially whenever it comes to a community gathering, which that's what this local church business is all about, it's a community gathering of a body of believers that unite our hearts and minds to one thing, and that is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and do His work on this earth. Amen? If any other reason, you know, I haven't found it yet that we're supposed to be doing it for. It's for Him and it's for those who need Him. And we need each other. So be sure you include the disciples. And when you include Jesus and the disciples, you get the whole shebang. Now all of heaven is at your side. Jesus just got through telling Nathaniel in, verse, in the last verse of the first chapter is that, man, you're going to see a lot of exciting stuff. And one of those things is his angels is going to be coming lighting on, on me and off of me constantly like a lightning bug, angels coming and going from Him constantly. When Jesus is in your life and He's in all of your life, then therefore what you have is a connection there with heaven itself. Angels is there to help you for the namesake of Jesus and His work. Man, what a deal. I don't know why you wouldn't invite Jesus into your life. You get Jesus, who's perfect. Absolutely perfect. Can't go wrong there. He's perfect. And the other thing about Jesus is that He loves you unconditionally. You can't do anything bad enough for Him to stop loving you. I don't want I don't, you know, to recommend you try it. But you can. not Anybody hearing my voice, I tell you right now, God loves you. He loves you with all of His heart. And if you was the only person on this earth to that, that, that needed to, to be saved from their sin, He would come and do the very thing that He did, and that's to die on the cross. Take your sin upon Himself, die on the cross, go to hell, defeat the enemy and overcome what the enemy had stole from Adam and rise himself up from the grave and present himself unto the Father to restore all things back to the Father. Just for you. just for you. I don't know why you wouldn't give your life to the Lord. I don't know why you wouldn't invite Him into every place of your life. Now the next thing is is that you need to do in order to have an extraordinary life is that you need to learn to be a servant. Some of the greatest moments of my life has come from serving. 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 All right, let's let's take a look at this. I want to show you two people here, at least in this text, that we need to learn from their service. The first is Mary, his mother. The second one is the servants that are called servants in the text. Alright, there's something important in all of them, and both of these. These two people. First of all, let's go to verse number three. It says, and when they had wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, They have no wine. And, uh, uh, The mother of Jesus said unto him, speaking of Jesus, they have no wine. And I love this this reaction. Jesus says, Woman, what has that to do with thee? In the original Greek it says, What's that got to do with me and you? In other words, let me put it to you in in downtown uh, Hollaville. What business is that of ours? That's what he's saying. What business of that is ours? Wine... Now, boy, I tell you, I'm going to teach you something here. I'm going to try to teach you something here. Uh, A lot of people don't want to be taught this. But wine is a natural thing that man has created. God did not create wine until this text. And he only created one batch. All right? Anybody that says wine is of God are mistaken. Wine is of man. All right, now y'all still love me, don't you? All right, okay. Wine is of man, not of God. God only created one batch of wine, and I'm going to just go ahead and spill the beans now. It was not alcoholic, and it was not grape juice. Because the wine that Jesus created here was not wine that came from grapes. Do y'all see grapes in that text? Nobody carried no grapes into this text. But what did they have in this text that He turned to wine? Water. So this is water wine. Water wine. Water does not ferment. Can somebody amen me? Amen, preacher. All right. The tree and I hear you, brother. So this is not fermented wine. This is God wine. This is the only batch of wine God ever made, and it is not fermented, and it is not grape wine, and it is not grape juice, it's water wine, it's heavenly wine, it's supernatural wine, it's miraculous wine. No wonder it was the best wine that ever been tasted, amen. Boy, if y'all don't amen me, I'm amen myself. And I'll get myself excited. So here what you have is you have Mary coming to him about a natural situation, a man-made situation, and she (laughs) brings it to Jesus, and Jesus says, well, what's that got to do with me? I love Mary's response. Now, this, this this is a servant. Man, this is an experienced servant of Jesus. She don't say nothing else to Jesus. She turns to the servants that she has authority over because evidently Mary has some kind of importance in this marriage ceremony. And you got to realize that this marriage ceremony, first you have the uniting together and then you got seven days of reception. Whew. You wouldn't get one person into that wedding. Here in America today it's all we can do to survive one full day and I'm thinking boy the time I get home after that full day I'm glad that's over with Lord bless them but man they carried on for seven days of this that's why they run out of wine they've been drinking for seven days good Lord I don't know how long it was but evidently it's toward the end because at the end of this text they leave Jesus does his things, and he says, I'm out of here. No more of this. (laughs) So Mary then goes and she turns, didn't say nothing else to Jesus. She laid it out there, turned to Jesus. I mean, turned to the servants and says, whatever he says do, you do it. Not another word said to her. Not another word said from her. She doesn't say nothing to nobody else. Oh, my God. Do you see what I see in that? Two things you need to recognize about this great servant. Number one, she brought to him a natural situation with compassion. She cared about this situation because of the bridegroom and because of the bride. We don't know if she was related to them or not. Possibly, probably, but we don't know. That evidence is not recorded. So I only preach what's recorded. We only believe what's recorded. We don't add to it. We don't take from it. We do our best to glean from what's there. And we can only do that by the Holy Spirit. So evidently what she does now is that she has compassion for those people, the bridegroom and, and, and the bride, because this is going to be a direct reflection on them. They've thrown a great party. It's the party of the century for them. And if they run out of wine, my goodness, that's the most valuable thing. That's what drawed everybody. That's like us running out of hot dogs. At a weenie roast. So they run out of wine. She has compassion. She doesn't express it except for in the presentation to Jesus. And the second thing is, This woman got faith. If you want to move Jesus to respond to a situation, not only in your life, in somebody else's life, you bring Him, you take it to Him in prayer with compassion and with faith, and I'm telling you, God will get up and dance around His throne. It will cause Him to move. The only thing that got him to move in was not the fact that it was his mama. Now we got to nail this thing down too, because if not, you're going to get to thinking that Mama Rachana had a little bit of extra respect than others. No, that's the reason Jesus used the term woman, not to belittle her, but to bring her to the place that what moves God is no longer your authority, Mama, to me. Because here's what changed. When he hit 30, he moved into the priesthood. Before 30, whatever mama said, he did. He was under mama's authority. He never got married. So he's still under mama's authority. But once he become under God's authority, after he became into the priesthood at 30 years old, and then he was baptized, and the Holy Ghost came and said upon him and anointed him to do what he was sent here to do. And that is to tell us that the kingdom of God has come. It's come and it's come now and our victory and our hour of victory and redemption is nigh ahead. Only three more years he's got to go so whenever he comes he says my hour has not come. What is he talking about here? He is talking about the very purpose he's come and now he's been anointed to do it. He's ready to get it done. He's ready to go to heaven. He's ready to go to the cross and to go and to take the authority away from Satan that he stole from Adam, and he's ready to raise up and present himself holy before God to redeem hum- hum- uh, mankind. That's what he did. He was excited about it, so his mind is on the purpose and plan of God. And he's like, Mama, what's this got to do with that? But his Mama moved with compassion and faith... And I'm telling you, faith pulls God. Don't believe it? I got something. The Bible says, let everything be established. One or two witnesses. This woman never asked Jesus nothing. She had an issue of blood. She didn't do nothing except for saying to her own heart, if I can only touch the corner of that garment of that man, I will be healed. And she made her way illegally through the crowd. She's unclean. She's contaminated. She's not supposed to be there. And she could be put to death for that. She don't care. She's dying anyway. So she pushes her way through. Pushes her way through. Knocking around. Knocking around. Finally, she just touches the hem of his garment. She don't tug on it. She just touches it. And all of a sudden, Jesus just stops And he says, who touched me? (laughs) His disciples are saying, man, everybody's thronging you. Man, they're about to run over you. What are you talking about? Who touched you? Jesus said, I felt power come out of me. And he says, I want to know who touched me. And then the woman, shaking and fearing and trembling, presented herself and said, it was I. I said unto myself, if I but touch the hem of his garment, I will be whole. And what did he say to her? Woman, thy faith has made thee whole. Go and sin no more. Faith is a power that operates in the kingdom of God and it just moves God. Now, let me add this. Though faith moves God, yet it will never move him beyond his will, work, plan, or purpose. So as soon as Jesus took this, what had to have happened, it had to have happened, is that immediately it must have come to him. He is the Word incarnated, you know. John said that in the beginning. He he settled that issue to start with. And he said, uh, it had to be this way, is that he had a plan, a plan come to. I can take this natural situation... And I can present the supernatural effects that I'm about to bring into this, this world. And here it'll be a glimpse. It's a sign that'll be a glimpse of what I'm creating. I'm taking that which is natural and I'm bringing that which is supernatural and I'm making it one with me. Now I just told y'all in the beginning that's what you are. You are if you're born again, a supernatural creation or creature of God. You are different than you used to be, not just because Jesus saved you, not just because Jesus lives in you, because He created you. You can't live out of Him now. You can't separate yourself from Him. Now, you can allow sin to get in and there can be a distance, but it doesn't make any difference. You're still connected at the miracle of a new birth. That's like me and my mom and daddy sometimes. We get into it. I, I know, I know, I, I know y'all don't. But I come from the hollow, you remember. We get into it. And no matter how ugly we get into it about, I mean, we still try to do it in Christian fashion. You know how that is, we only throw a boot or two. But we still try to keep, and you know. Even though we, did, and I go home, and by the time I get home, the Holy Spirit's all over me. It's all over Dad, it's all over Mom, and then the next thing you know, we're calling each other. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't behave that. we got in the flesh. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know, everything's made over again until the next time. You know, that's because we are weak creatures. And sin, you know, it's it's something we got to deal with we all got to deal with it. But Jesus dealt with sin as an effect on our life, our eternal life. So as a servant, you need to learn how to have compassion and do it for other people. In other words, approach Jesus more for other people's needs than your own. Because what you'll find when you do that and you do it in faith then you'll find all of your needs This flows out like a mighty river coming from a dam. I found out when I help other people meet their needs and help them out with what they need to do and help them connect with God, I get greater results from myself. Now it's up to them what they do and I can't change the way they do things. All I can do is tell them the truth. God wants you to have an extraordinary life but that's up to you. And I'm telling you, you got to invite him into every part of your life if you want to get there. The second thing is you've got to become a servant. are a whole bunch of Christians that are not serving nobody but themselves. Shame on you. Yeah, I heard I believe that was a little hard there. <clears throat> Shame on you. Don't work so hard to serve yourself. Because you won't get much and you'll be wore out when you get it. But if you'll work harder at serving others and serving Jesus and doing it with love and faith, then you will find that you'll get more than you ever thought you could ever get from God. The floodgates are open wide. There was days that Jesus went without food because He purposed it that way. But then there were days to whenever that he had compassion on a crowd that was hungry, and he said, you know, for their sake, (laughs) we got any food around here? Well, there's a couple of fish over here. guy has got a couple of fish over here and some bread, but it ain't enough. It ain't barely enough for him. Jesus said, bring it on up here. So that boy had to sacrifice his meal. So he sacrificed his meal and gives it to Jesus. Jesus takes that meal, lifts it up before heaven, and blesses it, and then gives it to the disciples in a basket and says, Here you go. Now y'all hand that out to all these thousands of people. Boy. Now that leads me to the third thing that every servant needs. You need to be obedient. Because God's going to ask you to do some things that makes no natural sense whatsoever. And your carnal, natural mind is going to say, that is ridiculous. Why in the world would we do that? Why would we pay this much money for that? Why would we go and we do this? I remember the greatest blessing I ever got in my life was one day I was sitting on my bed, nobody in the house but me, living in a mobile home park. Hadn't been a Christian, but maybe about... A couple of years hadn't even come in called to preach yet and I'm reading a book Christian book and all of a sudden the voice of the Lord and I hadn't learned the voice of the Lord that much back then but all of a sudden a voice I'm reading this book so my mind is going on with the words of this book now I have a real low reading comprehension so I have to really really concentrate on what I'm reading so that's exactly what I was doing. But then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, these words just popped up. It says, get up and go into the other room, and I'm going to endure you with a power from on high. And I thought, well, what in the world is that? I mean, what, what, is that? what does all this mean? I mean, I'm still green. But I'm hungry. My Lord, I'm hungry for Jesus. I'm hungry for everything he got, and I want to do everything He wants me to do. So I just thought, well, you know, I don't understand that one. So I just, I just went back to reading. And I no more got my focus back onto what I was reading until the voice came back. The words came back to me. It wasn't a voice. It was words that came back to me. It says, get up and go to the other room, and I'll undo you with the power of Mount high. And I thought, there again, I don't understand all that. So I went back to reading. Now, the third thing I understood because it came with a stern word. It was strong, straightforward. He said, Get up, go to the other room, and I am going to bless you. I understood bless. I didn't understand what the endowment of power on high was. So I said, Well, I don't understand this. I laid the book down, but I'm going to test it. I laid the book down. I didn't have a whole lot of faith. So I was going to the other room, and I was going to pray. No sooner than I got into the other room, the glorious presence of God fell upon me like I never felt before in my life. Now, there's two times that God's power fell upon me in the early days that shook my world and changed my life forever. Number one is the day I got saved. The day I got saved, I got totally delivered from a lot of junk. A lot of junk. I was addicted to a lot of stuff. I had a lot of hangups, a lot of problems. But in one moment, God changed me instantly. And I didn't know. I thought that was it. Because, I mean, how do you get better than this? Well, I found out that day is that there are deeper experiences with God. That day his presence moved upon me in such a way that I fell on the floor weeping and crying and glorifying God from a deeper part in in my inner being than I ever had before. And it felt like wave after wave of God's love and joy and power was just circulating over me. And I wept, and I wept, and I wept, and I thanked Him, and I thanked Him, and I thanked Him. Because I had, there was no reason for Him to do this for me other than the fact He just loved me. And I was hungry for Him. And I wanted to be a servant that He could use and bless and, and touch other people's lives with. I didn't know I was introducing myself to a call to preach. I had no clue of all of this stuff. But the next thing I know is that right after this experience, God begins to call and move on my heart to preach the gospel. My studying changed right then. I couldn't read the Bible just to read the Bible. Every time I read the Bible, I started preaching it on the inside. Every preacher understands that. When you go to preaching on the inside... And you just preaching from what you're reading and you're studying has all shifted and changed. All of a sudden, you've got to wake up and say, Oh my gosh, you're giving me that, you want me to preach? And then, you know, the shyness and timidness of old Tim came rising up and says, No way, I can't, oh you know, man. Then I started putting limits on God. And I, that part of the service, I didn't want to invite him in. I didn't want to yield myself to it because it's challenging, it's hard because I don't know whether you believe it or not but as wonderful as Jesus is, they, some people don't like Him. And a lot of people I found out don't want the truth. And when you mess with them and you throw the truth in their face, oh, they're going to throw you some junk back at you. Jesus went right straight to the heart of the Jewish people that were supposed to be teaching them about God. And they denied Him, rejected Him, and led the charge to crucify Him. Not everybody wants the truth. But the servant has to obey regardless. So there is a price to pay for an extraordinary life. But I'm not here today just because Trent went on vacation. This is a divine appointment. John starts his gospel off, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And nothing was made or created by Him. That is a sovereignty statement. Jesus has always been, always will be, forever God. Knows all things, sees all things, hears all things. And you are the people that God is wanting to release a greater aspect of Himself. And He wants to do that in you so that you can be blessed, but it's more for the people around you than yourself. To feel the anointing of God, to feel His presence, to feel His Word come alive inside of you is a thrill. But the greater thrill is when it flows through you and touches somebody else's life and they get convicted and then a few days later, if not right then, they come to you and say, those words you said to me are stuck to me and I can't get it out of me. Help me, help me, help me. And I say, Jesus is ready to give you what you want and that is eternal life and a life that is full of abundance. He gives it to all of us that's willing to surrender and to invite him into our lives and willing to become a servant. Now, last and final. Now, y'all didn't have no clocks in here, so it's y'all's fault. I hope you're getting fed. Because I I fix a meal. Uh, The Lord fixes a meal. Let me redo that. So you need obedience in your service. Now here's the other thing. <clears throat> the last and final thing is never forget, no matter where you're at in your walk with God or time, you're a disciple. The splendor, one of the other splendors of this miracle was is that no one at this party, the bridegroom didn't know, the governor didn't The the wedding director didn't know. The only people that knew that this was a miracle that Jesus had done was Mary, the servants, and the disciples. That's it. And the reason Jesus did it is because He's getting ready to go down to Capernaum and He needs His disciples believing in Him. He needs His disciples to know that He is a God that is greater and has power over science and nature. And if He needs to move a mountain, He can do it. If He needs to deliver someone from a demon, He can do it. If He needs uh, to heal someone, He can do it. That they would not be frightful. But have faith, because here's another thing, is that as a disciple and if you're going to do the service of the Lord and to work and, and work in the power of the Lord God Almighty and His Word come alive inside of you, you need to surround yourself with people who have like-minded faith. You don't want to get yourself mixed up with somebody that's got a different kind of faith. Because you need to bond and build and grow with each other. And you need to be able to rely upon each other. And when you're weak, they're strong. And when they're weak, you're strong. And you can keep each other marching for the glory of God and for the purpose of His call and work. Good place for amen. Amen. I got a few. All right. We might be getting tired. So here's the thing. Never forget your disciple. A disciple is one who observes and learns. Are you still learning? Are you still hungry to learn? As a child of God, do you still yearn and ask Him in the midst of the night, in the early parts of the morning, God, show me something else about you. Oh Lord, I'm so in love with you. Show me something else else just one more thing give me just one glimpse let me see a truth that i hadn't seen before and lord i'll let that truth come alive inside of me i'll yield to it and i'll let it be birthed and i know that you'll have tremendous things to do with it those that are in the circle of my world or life are you still hungry as a disciple are you still plowing As a disciple, do you still have the same longing to see souls saved as you did when you first got started? Maybe, whenever, maybe, they may be some, I don't know how long this church has been here, this ministry has been here, but some of you may have roots to when it first started. And you understood the passion and the plan. That, and the purpose that God had put in a, a group of people to start this thing, to impact this area. Today we have Facebook, we have YouTube, and hello everybody in Facebook and YouTube world. We have all of these social medias. You from right here can now reach an entire world almost. The capabilities and possibilities of reaching people is exhalated far beyond our comprehension. And it's still growing. The possibilities are lim- uh, limit uh, limitless. But God's only going to move if you're hungry. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had 60 so hungry for God? And when they come in, they come in with an expectation of God revealing something to them, challenging them, revealing maybe another part of him that you didn't see before. Maybe he moves upon me. you come in with an excitement maybe to God today God'll put it in my heart to do something special something that I hadn't done before. Maybe God'll call me to do some kind of ministry today. Maybe today God'll reveal something in a supernatural manner that he can, Move in my life that I can release out of my life to touch someone else's life. Do you still see Jesus as the miracle worker? Do you still see the possibilities as a disciple of what Jesus can do in your life, through your life? This word this morning is to remind you that hear my voice, that Jesus loves you, And He always will. And He wants you to allow Him to be a part of your life, every aspect of it. Is there one place in your life that Jesus has not been invited and has not lord of that area of your life? You know what it is. I don't need to know what it is it's nobody else's business it's something that you and God needs to sit down and talk about it right now because he wants you to have an extraordinary life and he can't do that if he's not Lord of all your life how about letting him in in your business how about letting him into your career how about letting them into your relationships? How about letting them into your prayer group? And that's, That sounds weird, don't it? But how about letting them into your Bible study? How about letting them into your children's life and your walk with your family? There's so many areas of our lives, and Jesus wants to be Lord of all of them. He wants to be a part of it. Will you let him do that this morning? 100%. Sell out to Him afresh. Give it to Him afresh. The other thing is, is that you, will you present yourself a servant afresh and anew today? Will you commit yourself to serve with compassion and to serve with faith? Serve with obedience without question? Just serve. What a joy it is just to be able to serve. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus. Will you commit yourself to serve at no matter what it is or area it is to serve, just serve. In the church, out of the church, in the community, in the family, everywhere. Serve wherever God sends you, whatever He tells you to do, serve. Just do it. And lastly, will you commit yourself to be a faithful disciple, always learning to the very end? We're coming into some days, as Timothy says, some days it's going to be hard. Here in America, we're going to be challenged. We've been challenged, but we've lost. The message is, is this now coming. Be warned. Because you will be swayed by the power of money and careers, professions, and social groups and other cultures. It's going to do everything they can to shut you up about Jesus. To get you to bow down to their philosophy or ways. You don't have to agree to it but you better not speak against it. No disciple, servant, or child of God can do that without conviction. I don't have to fuss or argue with them, but man, they ain't going to shut me up about Jesus. They might as well go ahead and shoot me now. I'll be in the martyr crowd up there in heaven. So this morning, will you commit yourself afresh and new? I don't know how y'all do invitation, but get something on the piano to play. I want everyone to stand right now, and I want you to be ready. Now listen, if God's moved on your heart, and you're ready to give yourself 100%, inviting Him to every area of your life and to be a servant unto Him in the fashion in which that I've made mention to you today, And to also to be a disciple to the end. You're ready to make that fresh, a new commitment. I want you to do something. And I want your obedience to start here. You be the first one to come to this altar and lay it at his feet. Recommit yourself 100% and say, God, COVID or not, I'll do whatever you say. Social groups or not, I'll do whatever you say. no matter where my life is and what part i've withheld i release it to you right now i come in agreement with your truth in that area of my life